It's 6 p.m. and you are tuned to your community radio station, KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Monday, August 7th. I'm Kelly Reese and this is your KVMR Evening News. In a scene straight out of a sci-fi thriller, authorities are addressing public health concerns in Fresno County after an unlicensed laboratory was discovered stocked with biological material and hundreds of lab mice. The California Report has the details up ahead. After national native news, we've got your local news and weather forecast. Then, KVMR's news director, Claudio Mendoza, sits down with Nevada County analyst, Mandy Stewart. The two speak about tomorrow's presentation on a new option for electricity service in some of our listening area. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Three people were killed in a mid-air collision late yesterday between two firefighting helicopters in Riverside County. Cal Fire Southern Region Chief David Fulcher said in a press conference this morning that one of the helicopters landed safely after the collision. Unfortunately, the second helicopter crashed and tragically all three members perished, which included one Cal Fire Division Chief, one Cal Fire Fire Captain, and one contract pilot. The crash occurred on Native American land near the community of Cabazon, west of Palm Springs. This is still a developing story with few additional details. The helicopters were involved in battling a brush fire blaze in the area. In Fresno County, officials are addressing public health concerns after an unlicensed laboratory was discovered in Reedley. The lab was stocked with biological material and hundreds of lab mice. Lab operators claim to be making COVID and pregnancy test kits, but public health investigators found evidence of infectious diseases such as malaria, hepatitis, and HIV. Joe Prado, division manager with the Fresno County Department of Public Health, says it was a big effort to clear the site of hazardous waste. It took us 76 days um, to destroy the biological agents on site. With that, um, with 14 federal, state, and local agencies collaborating. State and federal investigations are continuing. In Sacramento, a budget deficit limited what California state lawmakers could fund in this year's budget. Now they're eyeing a different strategy to pay for certain projects. CAP Radio's Nicole Nixon reports. Lawmakers have more than a dozen bond proposals to pay for things like climate infrastructure, mental health beds, and affordable housing. Andrea Walters is an economics professor at Sacramento State University. She says in some ways, bonds are just like multi-billion dollar mortgages for governments, and they come with interest. The higher the interest rate, the higher the cost to, in this case, the state of California, which then gets passed onto the taxpayers. Governor Gavin Newsom is already supporting one of the bonds, which would fund 10,000 new behavioral health slots. But he's getting lobbied on others, too. A number of uh, legislative leaders have come to me, hey, support this, support my bond, this bond. Lawmakers have until October to approve bonds and other ballot questions for voters to decide in the March 2024 primary. For the California Report, I'm Nicole Nixon in Sacramento. A controversial Farmer John slaughterhouse in the Los Angeles County community of Vernon closed earlier this year after nearly a century of operations. More than 2,000 people, mostly immigrants, worked there. Months later, laid-off workers are still struggling to adjust. LAist reporter Leslie Berenstein-Rojas has their story. I'm walking with Rina Chavarria down Soto Street, past the old Farmer John plant. 
trucks rumble by as we pass walls covered with its famous pig murals. Happy, frolicking pigs depicted in a grassy pastoral wonderland. Chavarria points to an entrance down the street. She says workers would come from the parking lot to line up here at 5 a.m. like a line of ants, she says, to start the back-breaking work of butchering hogs and processing the meat. Their most famous product was the Dodger Dog made here until 2021. Last year, Smithfield Foods, which owns Farmer John, announced the plant would close after more than 90 years. Some welcomed the news. The animal rights activists who held vigils outside and neighbors who had to smell the place. But for many workers, Chavarria, who worked there for nine years, says she and her co-workers depended on these jobs. Many of them older workers, she stresses. Chavarria herself is 55. After nearly a decade, she was a relative rookie. We soon meet up with a 24-year veteran, Maria Borges. The two former co-workers are thrilled to see each other. We're on the same boat, Chaparria says, tambaleando, wobbling. Neither has found a new job. For two and a half decades, Borges rose before dawn, day after day, to trim cuts of meat. Lo mismo, lo mismo, lo Every mismo, day the sí. same, sharpening Llegaba, knives, uh, setting up for her shift. During the pandemic, as an essential worker, she still showed up, even as co-workers got sick and some even died. It was hard work. But for Borges, Farmer John was home. Her first home, she says, not her second. She only went to her house to sleep. And though she's 64, she hadn't made plans yet to retire, financially or otherwise. So now what, she says, her only plan had been to keep working. There are lots of former Farmer John workers like Borges and Chavarria. The vast majority of workers are immigrants. Some have worked there several decades. That's Linda Nguyen with United Food and Commercial Workers Local 770, which represented most of those laid off. The average age of the worker at Farmer John ranges between 52 and 60 years old. So changing careers is pretty daunting for folks. Nguyen says for some, filing unemployment claims has proven difficult due to language and tech barriers, and many must learn new job skills later in life. Earlier this year, California set aside $6 million towards services like career counseling, job fairs, and training for the Farmer John workers. But Nguyen says much of the money has yet to be released. Meanwhile, some are learning new skills through the local hospitality workers' union. After 25 years processing ham and bacon, Benny Carey Lacey is learning to prepare fish. He's taking free cooking classes at the union's hospitality training academy in Koreatown. We pretend to be prep cooks, basically how to prep food to be cooked and served. Lacey, who's 55, says he misses life at Farmer John. He worries about paying his mortgage, but he's trying to stay positive. And the restaurant job doesn't sound half bad. It's been fun here. <laughs> I like this place. A few months ago, Maria Borges took the same kitchen training class, along with her younger sister, who also worked at Farmer John. Her sister has found a cooking job. Borges is still waiting. Esperemos que, que sí. Let's hope so, Borges says. Then she excuses herself to go make tamales to sell because there are bills to pay. For the California Report, I'm Leslie Berestein Rojas in Los Angeles. Support for the California Report comes from Guideline. Their automated 401k plans can be set up in 20 minutes. More at guideline.com CA. Guideline, the California way to 401k. The California Healthcare Foundation, 
Listening to Black Californians, a new study on how the healthcare system undermines the pursuit of good health, on the web at chcf.org lbca. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt through the Schmidt Family Foundation, working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food, on the web at theschmidt.org. And that's the California Report for today. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening and have a great day. Maybe consensus isn't dead after all. Today's National Native News brings us the latest on a potential new national monument near the Grand Canyon, which has overwhelming support from Arizona voters, including majorities of Democrats, Republicans, and Independents. That's coming up next. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. Results of a new statewide poll in Arizona show high levels of support for a national monument proposal near Grand Canyon National Park. As Arizona Public Radio's KNAU's Ryan Heinches reports, it comes as advocates have increased their calls for President Joe Biden to make the designation under the Antiquities Act. The survey showed 75 percent of Arizona voters favor added federal protections on more than a million acres of the proposed Bajnoavjo Itakukvini Grand Canyon National monument. It includes majorities of Democrats, Republicans, and Independents, and the numbers are mostly unchanged from a similar poll taken last year. Carletta Talusi is a member of the Havasupai tribe and coordinator of the Grand Canyon Tribal Coalition. Water is very important for everyone, not just Havasupai, but everyone that lives in this region deserves the right to clean water and clean air. I'm very encouraged to see this in my lifetime. The survey also showed large numbers of Arizonans support water conservation and want to protect the Grand Canyon specifically from uranium mining. The monument proposal is being driven by tribes like the Havasupai and Hopi, who say it would protect threatened sacred sites and water resources. But the uranium industry says modern extraction methods are safe and oppose the monument push, along with some area ranchers who worry it could impact their livelihoods. A 2012 federal moratorium on new uranium claims near the Grand Canyon has prevented an expansion of mining in the area. The monument proposal would make the ban permanent. Currently, there's only one active uranium mine near the park, and it has yet to produce ore. For National Native News, I'm Ryan Heinches in Flagstaff. This week, President Biden is scheduled to travel to Arizona and visit the Grand Canyon. Advocates are hoping the president will designate the national monument during his trip to the state. Survivors of boarding schools and their descendants in California testified about their experiences and the impacts before U.S. Secretary of Interior Deb Holland on Sunday as part of her Road to Healing cross-country tour. Christina Onestead has more. And a warning to our listeners, this story contains testimony of child sexual abuse. For many survivors and their descendants, the horrors of U.S. government-run boarding schools for Native American children was another form of genocide. I saw my first suicide at 12 years old. Ada is a member of the Cato or Coyone tribe in Laytonville, California. She was forced to attend the Stewart Indian School in Carson City, Nevada, one of more than 400 boarding schools for indigenous children that operated in 37 states. We knew the buildings that they were raping the little boys. We knew the buildings where they were raping the little kids, the girls. 
we've seen the unwanted pregnancies by the rape child, the women, the girls. They were 12, 13 years old. Some of the descendants of boarding school survivors took issue with the Department of Interior for not recognizing their tribes. Federal recognition provides financial resources and other support. About 45 tribes in California are unrecognized. Most remain landless. They were Indian enough to be sent over to those Indian schools at that time. Jack Potter Jr. is tribal chair of the Redding Rancheria, part Miwok and part Wintu, a federally unrecognized people. If there was some remedy, you know, that can fix those things because in the past we were all Indian people and we're still Indian people. I'm Christina Onestead for National Native News. The U.S. Departments of the Interior and Justice have concluded public hearings addressing missing and murdered indigenous people and human trafficking. The final Not Invisible Act hearing was held last week. Seven hearings were held across the country and some virtually to gather information from the public, advocates, law enforcement, survivors and families. Written testimony can still be submitted to the Interior Department by Thursday. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by Ramona Farms, offering wholesome and delicious foods from our heirloom crops as our contribution to a better diet for the benefit of all people. We are honored to share our centuries-old farming and culinary traditions online at RamonaFarms.com. Support by the National Indian Education Association's 54th Convention and Trade Show held in Albuquerque starting October 18th. Education sovereignty. It begins with us. Registration ends October 13th at NIEA.org. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. Now let's take a look at your local news. The KVMR News Desk continues with our ongoing coverage of the Carlos Reales Dominguez case. We last brought you news of his competency hearing, which began in late July. In this latest report from the Sacramento Bee, the man held in the murderous rampage that paralyzed Davis for days this spring is bound for a state hospital after being deemed unfit for trial. But what comes next for Reales Dominguez, the 21-year-old former UC Davis student who suffered an apparent psychotic spiral before prosecutors say he committed three brutal stabbings that killed two people and seriously wounded a third? Reales Dominguez now prepares for his commitment to state hospital, where a bed, doctors, and treatment await the road back to competency. Criminal attorney and former federal public defender Mark Reichel says, quote, It's a state hospital. They have one goal, diagnose and treat the person and restore him to competence. Where that takes place, Napa, Atascadero, or another facility, will likely be determined at a scheduled August 17th placement review hearing in Yolo Superior Court. There, a judge will determine which hospital has room for him and can take him as quickly as possible. If the three-pronged approach, diagnose, treat, and restore, is successful, Reales Dominguez will be restored to competency in the eyes of the court, and the criminal case can resume. If not, attorney and public defender Reichel says, quote, they keep trying. Reichel continues, if in the rare instance a person under state hospital care cannot be returned to competency, they are placed in what is known as a Murphy's conservatorship. 
the person facing criminal charges and deemed to be dangerous but not deemed competent within a statutory three-year time frame becomes a ward of the state. Restoring competency can take months or sometimes years. At the hospital, the person will undergo therapy with mental health professionals that may include medication. Reales Dominguez will likely not be placed at a state facility until October. Until his transfer to a state hospital, Reales Dominguez will remain in custody at the Yolo County Jail in Woodland. Last week, Yolo Superior Court Judge Samuel McAdam ordered that jail medical staff involuntarily medicate him. The first dose of antipsychotic medication Reales Dominguez will receive since a single dose on July 13th. Defense attorney Yolo County Deputy Public Defender Daniel Hutchinson says, quote, Yolo County is not equipped to provide the care that he will get at a state hospital, but at least he will be medicated. This reported by the Sacramento Bee. Now let's take a look at your local forecast from the National Weather Service. Today was another warm and dry day. The valley saw widespread highs in the triple digits. However, a cooling trend takes hold of the region through the remainder of the week, with near to slightly below normal temperatures. The return of the onshore flow, which, for non-meteorologists, occurs when air moves from sea to land and is usually associated with increased moisture, is expected Tuesday through Friday. For those in Grass Valley and Nevada City, tonight clear with a low around 63 degrees. Tuesday, sunny with a high near 87. Tuesday night will be mostly clear with a low around 59 degrees. In Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight clear with a low around 45 degrees. Tuesday, sunny with a high near 78. Tuesday night will be clear with a low around 45 degrees. And in Sacramento and Woodland, tonight clear with a low around 60 degrees, gusts as high as 18 miles per hour. Tuesday, sunny with a high near 86. Tuesday night will be mostly clear with a low around 59 degrees and gusts as high as 20 miles per hour. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR. Pacific Gas and Electric has long been the only utility option for most of Nevada County. But now a new contender is throwing their hat in the ring. Coming up, KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza fills us in on a new option for your power. Tired of giving your money to PG&E? On Tuesday, August 8th, that's tomorrow, at the Board of Supervisors meeting, Nevada County staff will be sharing a presentation with the supervisors highlighting what community choice aggregation is. Community Choice Aggregation is a program that was actually enabled by state law back in 2002, and it allows local governments, including cities, towns, um, and counties, to form a public agency. Oftentimes, it's formed as a JPA, a Joint Powers Agreement, and this public agency can procure power on behalf of their residents and businesses in place of the local investor-owned utility. Once that power is procured by the local agency, it is then transmitted through the existing infrastructure that is owned by the local investor-owned utility. So for our purposes in Nevada County, it would be PG&E. My name is Mandy Stewart, and I'm an analyst with Nevada County. I support both the executive office as well as the board of supervisors. Mandy is part of the staff that did the research, and she and her team will be presenting to the board tomorrow. I asked her what the potential upsides of a CCA are as compared to a traditional investor-owned utility. So from our research, we found a few potential benefits um, of community choice aggregation programs. 
One is that the majority of community choice aggregation programs across the state of California provide some level of customer savings. The research, again, is for all of the different providers, so it's not specific to anyone at this time. And it also depends on the contract type that an individual has with the local investor-owned utility. Additionally, this is an opportunity to provide choice for businesses and residents of the county. So what happens when a local jurisdiction decides to partner with a community choice aggregation program? All residents are automatically enrolled in that program, and then residents have the option to opt out and stay with their local investor-owned utility and see really no changes to their existing service as they see it today. Additionally, these community choice aggregation programs are governed by representatives from the local jurisdictions for which the program serves. So should Nevada County choose to move forward with a community choice aggregation program, um, representatives from our elected officials would be part of the governing agent of the community choice aggregation provider. And as such, this provides transparency to all local residents and businesses on the rate setting policies, the programs that the the CCA is offering the community. It's a very transparent, non-for-profit agency governing the procurement of local energy. Lastly, we have found that community choice aggregation programs offer the opportunity for reinvestment in local communities. So investor-owned utilities have shareholders, which they are required to pay out to. Because community choice aggregation organizations are uh, not-for-profit agencies, those excess profits get reinvested in local communities in the form of supporting new renewable energy programs, maybe subsidizing rates to the local residents. That's all a decision that's pursuant to the respective board, but that opportunity to reinvest the excess profits in the local community we see as a potential benefit. Again, that was Mandy Stewart. She's an analyst for Nevada County, and she will be presenting tomorrow at the Board of Supervisors meeting at 1015. That's happening at the Eric Rood Administration Center, and the public is welcome to attend. That's our newscast for Monday, August 7th. Listen to anything you may have missed at our website, kvmr.org, and connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. KVMR gets support from generous listeners like you and the Nevada City Farmers Market, Saturdays, 8.30 a.m. to 1 p.m., Robinson Plaza and Union Street, now through mid-December, featuring sustainably grown food from local farmers, crafts, artisanal offerings, also live music, and EBT accepted. ncfarmersmarket.org. Support for KVMR's Future of Radio project comes from AJA Video Systems, empowering the next generation of local journalists and broadcasters. The KVMR Evening News is produced by KVMR News Director Claudio Mendonca. As always, thanks for tuning in. I'm Kelly Reese, signing off. Join us Tuesday at 6 for another edition of the KVMR Evening News.